0: I got involved in ministry for a specific reason. It wasn't to be a pastor. Yes, I love to speak the word of God. I love to teach. I love to care for people. I love all the aspects of ministry. But the reason I got involved in ministry was for a simple reason, sort of the simple gospel we just talked about. I believe that believing in Jesus Christ is something that everyone should do. In fact, I don't know why anybody would not want to believe in Jesus Christ. And I believe that I am called, and I believe you're called as well, to help others to believe in Jesus Christ. And I learned this early on, and I've shared. I grew up in the church, but it wasn't until probably 19, 18 years old, 19 years old, 20 years old, I started to get it. And I remember I was... I played basketball, and I was working at a basketball camp, and I started working with other guys who were playing basketball at other, even Christian colleges, and it was a Christian basketball camp, and there had to be devotions, and I started to notice that the other basketball players didn't want to have anything to do with the devotions. They just wanted to to coach basketball and pick up their paycheck at the end of the week, and so I started teaching devotions. But I also started having conversations with some of these basketball players who were solely focused basically on basketball. But what I started to realize was deep down in their soul was a core issue, a core hunger, a core thirst that all of us have. And that core hunger and thirst that all of us have is to be accepted, to be loved, to be safe, to be secure and it centers around a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I started to realize, people want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they just don't know how to do it. And what I have discovered over the course of all these years being involved in ministry, some of you believe in Jesus Christ, but you still don't feel safe and secure. Some of you say you believe in Jesus Christ, but you really haven't yet believed in Jesus Christ. And if that's a little bit confusing, we're gonna see in a little bit, Jesus often talked about people who were there. They were following him, they were part of the crowd. Some of them even were part of the disciples. In fact, one of them was one of the 12, and he actually called him Satan. So some of you think you're a Christian, you think you're a believer, but you've never trusted in Christ. And then there's a whole group of people Throughout America, but they're also here in this church who are seeking Christ because they want that deep core issue to be satisfied of feeling safe and secure in a relationship with their, the God that created them and the God that died on the cross for them. But you have doubts and you have concerns. Why? Because life experiences have taught you that maybe. It may be scary to trust in Christ. And so you got these concerns, this heartache, this brokenness, and you got questions. You got question after question, doubt after doubt. And you say, well, if I trust in Christ, it still doesn't make sense because I don't even know if God is good and if God really loves me or God loves other people. And there's all this evil in this world. And so you want to believe, but there is a hurdle that you need to get over so that you can believe. And that's all right, that occurred when Jesus was here. And that's why Jesus did miracles to help convince people that he was the son of God. That's why Jesus talked about him being the great I am, comparing himself to the Bernie Bush situation when he said, I am who I am. And then there's a whole slew of you who maybe wanna become a Christian but you're scared because you've bought into a false narrative that Christianity is about giving up something it's about changing a certain behavior lifestyle now don't get me wrong God wants to change us and work in us but you think that that comes before having a relationship with Jesus Christ and so you got you're so hung up on the things that you think you're going to lose out on that you can't see all the things that you're going to gain. And so this whole series is designed to help us to understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I know in this generation, everybody wants uh, the pastor to tell stories, you know, tell stories that are exciting and, and will get people focused and understand. And today, I really don't even have to tell any stories from personal experience? I' get to tell two of the best stories that Scripture has ever really talked about. The first one, and it's familiar to all of us, it's the feeding of the 5,000. And it is such a powerful story. You see, crowds were coming after Jesus. Some people were wondering is he the new king? Is he the Messiah? Who is this? Is this a prophet right before our very eyes? And so thousands upon thousands of people were coming to hear Jesus speak. And Jesus never wasted an opportunity. And so what Jesus does, as he's doing all this teaching and these signs and wonders and starting to point people and say, I am the Son of God. I am the Savior of the world. I am the Messiah. These crowds come, and Jesus realized something long before I realized it. Everybody has a core issue. Everybody has a core issue to be accepted, to be loved, to feel safe and secure. And so when Jesus sees these crowds, he looks out with compassion. Why? His heart is broken because he knows that some of them will walk away from him. They will not believe in him as the son of God. And so he has this compassion. But Jesus never wastes an opportunity Not only to present himself to the crowd, but to help the disciples understand what their mission was going to be going forward. And so Jesus, it says in the scripture over and over again, he tests the disciples. He gives the test to the disciples. You know, it's not a multiple choice test. It's a test to see if they truly understand who he is. And so Jesus looks at him and says, why don't you feed him? <laughs> they're like, how are we going to feed this crowd? Let's just send them away. And again, Jesus is heartbroken because he knows that they got a core issue that needs to be solved. It needs to be reconciled. And so eventually when the disciples says, hey, yes, we got five loaves of bread and two fish. And you know the story. Jesus miraculously feeds the 5,000, which really is probably more like 15,000. At least, at minimum. Because in those days, they just counted the men. So we're talking 5,000 men. Let's just assume they're all married. That's 10,000. Let's just all assume that they had one child. You're talking 15,000 people and just Jesus feeds them. And I don't know if you've ever caught it. At the end of the story, guess what? There is food left over. In fact, there are 12 baskets. You may say, why 12 baskets? Well, 12 baskets probably represented, not the 12 disciples, but it could have. It probably represented the 12 tribes of Israel who were going to not understand who Jesus was. And he was saying, there's still going to be bread left over for you to eat. And so these crowds suddenly, they're like, we want to come to Jesus because he's going to take care of us. He's going to be the best cheesecake factory restaurant in town. And he's going to make me feel good. And he's going to take care of my physical needs. And Jesus understood, again, the core issue, the reason he came, wasn't to feed the 5,000 and to do miracles. The reason he came was to present himself as the Savior of the world. So Jesus goes up and prays on a mountain, His disciples get impatient like they always do, and they're trying to get away from the crowd because serving people is exhausting, especially when we're trying to do it by ourselves. And then they get on a boat, and they're going across a sea, and a storm comes. And we learn so much. In the storm, Jesus moves from trying to teach the people The crowds that he is the Son of God and teaches the disciples that they can that they're inadequate, but they that with Jesus He he can meet all their needs and they suddenly will be adequate. Now he's going to focus in on the disciples, and it's a message for you and I. That in the storms of life, Jesus is watching over us. It says that Jesus saw them struggling out in the storm. Jesus was praying for them, and he was praying for the, his core mission to be fulfilled. And suddenly, Jesus walks on water. You know the story. And the thing you've got to catch in that story that is so powerful is that suddenly, not only is the storm calm, but they arrive to the other side safe and secure. And it's just very interesting, again... We don't know exactly what happened, but did Jesus even do another miracle, not only calming the storm, but did Jesus automatically get them to the other side, safe and secure? Or when the disciples realized that Jesus was with them, the time flew by so quickly that it, they just said, immediately, we were to the other side, because Jesus was present. And then Jesus goes into a message. And that's where I want us to focus this morning. And I'm just going to give you some truths. They're simple truths, but they're important truths that are going to set the stage for this series. And so I'm going to encourage everyone to read through the Gospel of John. In fact, in the next steps, the application is for this week somehow to get caught up in the Gospel of John and to read through the first Um, seven chapters, so take a chapter a day and read through it so that you can see who Jesus Christ is and observe these these signs and wonders, but also what Jesus says about himself. So I'm not going to be reading all of this, but I just want to pick up the story. So if you got your Bible, turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and... And we just need to understand something. Again, this is one of Jesus' first sermons. This is one of his first declarations to people he knows the majority of them are going to reject him. But he's trying to help people understand who are going to believe in him what it means to have a relationship with the Son of God. So this is pretty powerful stuff. Now I got a little bit of a warning. The warning is this, Jesus is speaking metaphorically. He's also speaking a lot of figure of speeches and he's trying to take the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on the water, which are both examples of God being in control over the physical nature. And now he's gonna talk about the spiritual, emotional, relational aspect of life and so he, he's going to start using figurative language. Again, bread of life, what is that? And there's, it's going to be a little bit confusing. But I hope to point out to you today the clear, literal passages that Jesus is doing to make this, this chapter make a lot of sense to you. So the, that's the goal today. And obviously, if you haven't yet trusted in Jesus Christ, and maybe you're one, he's like, well, maybe I am one of those who thinks I've believed in Christ, but I don't know if I've believed in Christ. Really pay attention today. Or if you have a friend or a family member, a neighbor who's not yet trusted in Christ, you need to pay attention to these words. So John 6, says this. It says, on the next day, that crowd that he had just fed, it said, remained on the other side of the sea. He saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Again, they're not not concerned about the disciples. They're more concerned about Jesus. That's important for us to know as disciples of Jesus Christ. The focus is on Jesus Christ, not on us as disciples. But notice what it says. It says, The other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord, had given thanks, So when the crowds saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum. Notice they were seeking Jesus. Again, we use that terminology today. We talk about people seeking Jesus. And just because somebody says that they're seeking Jesus or seeking to, to get back into church or whatever lingo they're using or seeking to read God's word for the very first time, We need to understand something. These people were seeking Jesus, but they were doing it for the wrong reasons. They were seeking a miracle worker. They were seeking someone who could do signs and wonders. They were seeking someone who they thought, again, would give them the best cheesecake factory meal day after day after day after day. day. That's what they were seeking. And it's all right, though. Jesus knows our hearts. And Jesus is in control because he knows who he is. And that gives us safety and security. So it says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi. Again, they didn't know he was the Messiah yet. And they said, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, or some of your translations may say, Amen, amen, amen. Literally, when you see this, this is like, pay attention, pay attention. Wake up, wake up. Or as I said last week, give me your eyes. Jesus is saying, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. He says something pretty powerful here. He says, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then he said to them, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has set. I want to cough, and I don't want to cough in your ear, so I'm going to grab a drink here real quick. So the first point we need to see is that Jesus saves. (coughs) Jesus as the bread of life saves. You may say, Mark, that sounds like a simple truth. It is a simple truth, but so many people miss it. Why is Jesus saying, he's going to say it in a little bit, but why is he trying to help people understand that he is the bread of life? The reason is, is because he saves. The word save means to rescue, to deliver. If you go back to the feeding of the 5,000, there was a rescue, there was a deliverance. The people were hungry, the crowds were starving, and Jesus saved them. Literally, Jesus saved the disciples. He gave them an opportunity to minister to the people. Jesus came to the rescue and he saved. Again, this is where Jesus is going to switch away from from the physical salvation. And now he's going to be talking about spiritual salvation. Notice what he says in 627 again. He says, do not labor for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Eternal life is code for salvation. Eternal life is code for the gospel, the good news. Eternal life is code for meeting our core needs spiritually, emotionally, relationally. Eternal life is code for the forgiveness of sins. And so what Jesus is communicating as the bread of life, he's going to save them. Just like he saved the crowd, just like he saved the disciples who walked on water, guess what? Jesus saves. Some of you might be saying, Mark, I've already trusted in Jesus as my Savior. I say amen. You need to understand something, though. This message is not just initially for those who will believe This message is also for us who do believe. The salvation that God gives us is not just past salvation. It's not like we're just getting saved, and I've talked about that in the past. That's justification, where we are saved from the penalty of sin. But as the bread of life, he saves us. That means he sanctifies us, and he saves us from the... From the power of sin in our lives. But he also is gonna glorify us in the future. He's gonna save us from the presence of sin. Salvation, yes, it has a starting point, but it is a process. And what we need to see here, Jesus is not saying, I'm giving you bread. He's not, even though there's a comparison in here to the manna that came from heaven. That's not really what Jesus is talking about. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Not that he gives bread, but that he is the bread of life. He is the one that brings salvation. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for us who are Gentiles. Jesus, as the bread of life, Saves us. He gives us eternal life, but he also gives us life. I want to jump ahead here and look at verse 33. Look at verse 33. He says, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is, again, moving away from the physical nature of life and the feeding of the 5,000. Now he's going to spiritual life. Jesus is what brings life to you. And that's salvation. And again, the trick is believing in Jesus. So I talk about some of the clear verses. Notice 6.29. 6.29. 6.29. A lot of people think that there are good works they need to do in order to be saved. 6.29, Jesus is making it very clear and he's gonna repeat this phrase over and over again. Notice what he says in 6.29. He's being literal here now. He's saying the work of God is this, or literally the will of God is this, that you believe, that you place your faith, your confidence, your assurance, You believe in who? In Jesus, whom God has sent. When I first really started to understand what it meant to be a believer in Christ, I underlined and I circled 629 and I memorized it. Because I'm going to tell you, you're going to hear things or you're going to see things or... People are going to tell you, well, you know, you got to do all these good works, and then and it's your works that you're saved. Even people who've sat in church and have heard that salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone, and by grace alone. The temptation is to go to works. And that's what the Jewish people did. And Jesus corrected them and said, no, it's not about works, because those, all those works you're trying to do, they'll perish, they'll end. The only work that lasts into eternity is to believe in Jesus. But Jesus doesn't stop there. And I think this is sort of what we need to understand, that Jesus is the bread of life. He satisfies. So again, in 627, he says, do not labor for the food that perishes. Now let's look at our Core passage, 635. Notice what he says. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. And we'll talk about this in the series. He's using a phrase, ego. I me, which in the Greek translated, I am. I am in the now. I'm present. I'm what you need in the present. The Jesus Christ who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, is who we need. And he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He says, but I said to you that you have seen me, and you yet do not believe. Jesus is the only one that satisfies. It's very interesting. When he was talking to the woman, at the, the Samaritan woman, you can find that in John chapter 4. And when you go through your reading, you'll, you'll notice very similar language. Because Jesus says, you know, I'm the water of life, basically. I'm the gift of God. And I'm offering you the gift of salvation. And he says, if you drink from my well, if you drink from my water, you will never, ever thirst again. And so what Jesus does here, to show that he is the only satisfaction, he uses the phrase, "no twice. And again, it's hard maybe for us to see because in the Greek they do this thing, it's called a double negative. And so what he's saying is, if you believe in Jesus as the bread of life, you will never, ever thirst thirst again you will never ever ever be hungry again never ever why because the core issue of salvation is satisfied by trusting in jesus christ you may be saying mark 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 wait wait a second here i've trusted in christ but i'm still not satisfied Don't miss what Jesus is saying. He's saying your core issue is satisfied. But Jesus is the one you're going to always turn to for satisfaction. Jesus is the one you're always going to turn to, to believe in, to trust in, to put your hope in. And so Jesus is the one that is going to satisfy you in a broken marriage. Jesus is the one that's going to satisfy you in a broken home. Jesus is the one that's going to satisfy you when you lose your job. Jesus is the one that's going to satisfy you when your finances are on the brink. Jesus is the one that's going to satisfy you when you're feeling lonely and insecure and threatened by life. Jesus is the only one that's going to satisfy you. That's what he means. He is the bread of life, he brings satisfaction. Let your eyes jump to 658. Notice what he says. He says, this is the bread that came down from heaven. He's talking about himself. He says, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. You see, the manna in the Old Testament and the bread that the, the, the crowd ate, all of them will die. It doesn't satisfy the core spiritual, relational, emotional issues that we have. But he says, if you eat of this bread, you will be satisfied forever. Here's the third truth we need to understand. The bread of life sustains. The bread of life sustains. Notice in 649. So Jesus got done repeating that whoever believes in him has eternal life. 48, he says, I am the bread of life. 49, he says, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that the one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. You see, Jesus gives us eternal life. And you may wonder, what does the word sustain mean? That's where we get our strength. That's where we get our comfort. That's where we get our encouragement. We know later in the Gospel of John, he's saying, When he departs, it's even gets better for us, which is a truth we know now, is we get the Holy Spirit who resides in us. And he is our comforter. He is our encourager. But Jesus is the bread of life. He's the one that sustains us. He holds our life together. He holds our problems in his hands. This is why I say the bread of life isn't just so much for an unbeliever. Yes, he w- wants people to realize that he's going to save them. This message is for us as believers. I I've been there myself. I'm sure you've been there. Sometimes you just want to throw in the towel. You're a Christ follower, but things aren't working out. There, there, again, there's brokenness, there's pain, there's relationship issues, There's struggles, there's confusion, there's chaos. Yes, we live in a messy world. But what is going to sustain you through that? It is Jesus as the bread of life. He says something down in verse 56. He says, whoever, and I know this sounds like really weird, bizarre language, but he says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me may say, that that sounds a little creepy. Again, here he's speaking in figurative language. What he's saying is, who's taking care of your thirst? Who's taking care of your hunger? Jesus says, let me do that. Let me take care of all those core issues of safety and security that we all have and that we all struggle with. And let me sustain you. Notice what he says after he talks about eating and drinking. He says... I abide, or they abide in me, and I am them. This isn't talking, we're going to look at Jesus in John 15, talking about I am the vine and the branches. We're talking about when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, suddenly you have a relationship with him. It is an eternal relationship, and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That means Jesus Christ is in love with you. He accepts you. You're safe and secure because you're in the grip of Jesus Christ. And you know we've probably all seen I don't think I see it too often today but we've probably seen that footprints illustration and and, you know we we, sometimes we get teary-eyed looking at it you know and there is two sets of prints and then there's just one set of prints and You know, it's like, oh, yes, Jesus, you left me alone. And Jesus is like, no, I was the only set of prints. I was carrying you through all those trials and tribulations. You see, Jesus is the bread of life. Once he's in a relationship with you, he sustains you. He strengthens you. And here is something we all struggle with. security. Again, all of us want to feel safe and secure in whatever relationship we're in. If you get married, you want to feel safe and secure with your husband or your wife. If you have children, you want to feel safe and secure with your children. Children want to feel safe and secure with their parents. If you go off to school, you want to feel safe and secure where you're studying and learning. If you live in a community, you want to feel safe and secure. It is no different spiritually. We want to feel safe and secure that God loves us and that he cares for us and that our relationship with Jesus Christ is secure. And Jesus emphasizes this in multiple ways in this passage. In multiple ways. Not only in 629, but look at 640. The second verse I always circle and underline and tell people to understand is not only 629 but it's 640. This is one of the clear I mean this is I think this is even more clear than even John 316 almost. It's not John 640. Notice what he says. He says for this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. That means they will possess it right now. Now eternal life is eternal life. If you would only possess eternal life for a year or two, that's not eternal life. It's a secure life. And so he says, whoever believes in him has eternal life. And notice this, I will raise him up on the last day. If you go through this passage, Multiple times, I think almost six or seven times, he talks, if you accept him and believe in him as the bread of life, he will raise you up on the last day. He promises us ultimate salvation that I talked about, glorification. He is gonna raise us up on the last day. And that's sort of the climax of the sort of the signs, the resurrection of Lazarus, when he says, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, though they die, guess what? They will be resurrected. We are secure. He says, we have eternal life, but he says, he will raise us up on the last day. And notice again, going back to 35, which is sort of the key verse for I am the bread of life. I mentioned this before. He says, they shall not hunger, they shall never thirst. And then in 37, he says, they shall never be cast away. Jesus is saying, if you put your faith in him, you are secure in that relationship. Jesus wants to know that there is security in him. You are secure. So he will never ever Thirst or hunger again, he will never ever be cast out. He has eternal life, and he will be raised up on the last day. So what are we supposed to do with Jesus as the bread of life? And I'm going to end this with where I started. Really, there are only three next steps for you. And I don't know where you're at. Three next steps. One of them is to believe in Jesus Christ. Some of you have believed in Jesus Christ. Some of you think you've believed in Jesus Christ. But what are you supposed to do when you're faced with a message like this, when Jesus presents himself as the bread of life, who gives eternal life, free of charge as a gift? No works except the work to believe in Jesus Christ. You either believe in it or you don't. And I will say, if you have believed in it, then the question is, because he keeps using progressive language in here, are you continuing to believe in Jesus as the bread of life? It it doesn't make sense to trust in Jesus for that core issue of safety and security, but not to live it out day by day and to trust in him for safety and security. The second option is to pretend. And there's a lot of pretenders. Jesus talked about the Jewish people. He called them hypocrites. They pretended to be in love with God, but they really weren't in love with God. It's very interesting. If you let your eyes jump way ahead to John 6, 64, Jesus says this. This is some of his last words on this. He says, but there are some of you who do not believe. They were followers. They were even called disciples. They were seeking Jesus. They were wanting to know, but they were pretending. They never truly believed in him. And nothing breaks my heart more than seeing somebody pretend to be a Christian and not really being a Christian. When you're trusting in yourself, you're trusting in your works, you're trusting in coming to church, you're trusting in the fact that you think you're a good person, you're trusting in putting money in the offering plate, whatever you're trusting in, thinking that is what secures your salvation. And you're not trusting in Christ alone, through faith alone, and grace alone. You're just pretending. The third option is total rejection. And probably the thing that just totally breaks my heart in this passage is in verse 66. It says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to walk away too? Do you want to reject me? Do you want to turn your back on me as the bread of life? I know what I'm saying is going to be confusing and hard and difficult. And he didn't tell him this right up front, but you're going to die for following me. And Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And it says, and we have believed, you have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them. He said, I did not, did I not choose you, the 12? He says, and yet one of you is the devil. Talking about Judas. You see, Judas rejected him. Judas didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus as the bread of life. But again, he gave the impression. So let today be be the day if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ. Stop pretending or stop rejecting because Jesus is the only one that offers life, eternal life, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the only one that saves us and secures us for eternity.